friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. Happy to be back with you guys for another episode. Hope everybody had a great weekend. I don't know about you, but my wife and I are getting a little stir crazy being in our house so much, but I know that it's important. We're going to stay safe right now, and I hope you all are able to be doing that. But thank you guys for tuning back in for another episode. The music that you're hearing, as always, is from my good buddy, Ryan Allwart. Mentioned it before, but he's got an album coming out later this year. Make sure you check out his Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to music. Make sure you subscribe to him so that you can be up to date on the music that he releases. Our sponsor again this week is Donato's Pizza here in Bowling Green. I want to thank them for sponsoring this episode. You'll hear more about them later on in the show. But my guest this week is Tyler Huckabee. Tyler is a writer for Relevant Magazine, and he covers a lot of the intersection of where culture and faith meet. And he has written a lot of really, really good thought-provoking pieces, especially during this COVID-19 time. And one of those in particular we will talk about in this conversation. But I've always enjoyed following Tyler since I started following him about a year ago. But if you do follow Tyler and you know anything about him, you know that he is very much into comic books and superhero movies. So we definitely delved into that, and he gave a preview of some of the superhero movies that are coming out later this year. So if you're into those kind of movies, definitely stick around for Tyler's insight on that because he's also got a podcast called Cape Town Podcast where they talk about comic books and superheroes and all kinds of other stuff in that realm. So I really enjoyed this conversation and really enjoyed getting Tyler's thoughts on so much of what's going on in our culture and our society and in the world right now as it relates to faith and just everything going on with COVID-19 and all of that. So really, really feel like this has a lot of variety to this conversation and I think you guys will like it. So here's my conversation with Tyler Huckabee. Tyler Huckabee, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you. I've been, you're one of the first people that I reached out to last summer whenever I was thinking about doing this podcast. Coming up on a year, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I finally get you on here. So how you doing? Everything going all right? I, I am, uh, I've, somebody asked me that earlier today and it's kind of like, well, what is all right? What's the, I don't know what the, I don't know what the universally agreed upon measure of being all right is in 2020, but yes, I'm, de- I'm definitely better than a lot of people. I'm a little bored and I'm a little stir crazy, but uh, but but I've got a house. Uh, I've got a dog. Uh, married. We're getting along. We, and I think compared to how a lot of people are are having to deal with quarantine season, yes, I'm doing all right. What has been your go-to thing to to pass the time? I don't know. Are you, are you varying it up every day? Or are you kind of finding a rhythm? Or what are you doing? Yeah. So okay, a few things. Um, I. Dove into uh, uh, and I'm, I've got one more. I decided, I, you know, I want to knock out some like blind spots in the pop culture canon, right? So the first one that I tackled was those new Planet of the Apes movies, the like prequels uh, that Matt Reeves directed. So I did the first two, and I'll probably do the other one this weekend. Um, I've restarted because I got like through the first season and then stopped, and then it you know, you stop watching something and it keeps going without you. And then you're like, the longer you wait, the harder it is to catch up with yeah. it. Like, well, now it's just, but now I've got nothing else to do. So the Americans, which I was enjoying a lot and I thought was a really good show. Uh, and then for, just for whatever reason, stopped watching. So I'm going to take this time to try to get caught up on that. And, uh, and then I, the, the last thing that I've been trying to do, and I think I've been, I, I've decided to pick like one comic series to read it, like 
I've never done that. I don't read a lot of comic books, but I decided I want to try to read every single issue of Batman because they're all online right now if you have a subscription uh, and all my subscription to DC. So I'm just going to read every single Batman comic starting in 1944, I think, or 1945, all the way up through to today. So that may take a little longer than quarantine season. Uh, <laughs> I hope, unless we're here till you know, to, you know, we don't know. Maybe there's not. no, there's no end in sight at this point. I really don't <laughs> yeah. know what, uh, what to expect. I saw earlier that I guess if you're filing for one of the stimulus checks, you may have to wait up to 20 weeks to get it. So everything involving quarantine season and COVID-19 seems to be just taking Thank a long time and <laughs> really have no idea when things are going to happen. Yeah. It's just been bizarre. Cause it just, it seemed like, it came out of nowhere because I, I mean I was very guilty of right right away whenever I heard about it like okay this it does not seem like a big deal I don't understand why people are overreacting why are we canceling these events mm-hmm. then it was like mm-hmm. the following week was when the NBA postponed and then MLB stopped and the NCAA tournament shut down and all kinds of things started to shut and then it was like okay this is kind of a lot more serious than we realized. Right. So I, what are some other things? Like, I, I know you're super big into superhero movies and comics, which we'll talk sure. about a little bit more going on, but what are some other things that maybe you're into culture wise that aren't happening right now that you're missing out on? Yeah. So I'm pretty lucky uh, in that regard because sports aren't really my, they don't do a lot for me. I've, I've never been super into televised sports and I know that's been a big thing for a lot of people. And it's been kind of an interesting window into that world for me to see how much people do miss it. It's like a, it's not just, Oh, I wish the sports were on. It's like an important part of their community and their, and their life. I don't know if this, maybe this is how you're feeling a little bit, but to talk to my friends about missing sports is like, um, I don't know that I have a great, probably the closest that I would come to something like that is like concerts which yeah. we can't go to, you know, like going to a, a concert, which is really such a together thing, such a community thing. I live in Nashville, lots of live music here, obviously. Uh, and that has been hard and hard for a lot of people who that's their primary source of income. So oh, yeah. that is a big deal. So I, I really haven't. Uh, and then just like the things that I love doing, which is going out to eat, meeting with friends, uh, like to, to get a beer, a cocktail. That, that's been hard. That has been hard to not have those things. But pop culturally, I got a lot of books. I got a lot of movies. I got a lot of TV. I got a lot of comics. A lot of the things that I use to pass my time, I've still got pretty good access to. Yeah. Yeah. We're just now north of Nashville. So we, for all of our concerts, that we, if we can help it, we go to see the artists in Nashville. I don't know how many concerts we've been to at the Ryman already, but we were supposed to go to see Lauren Daigle and Johnny Swim in Evansville. Yeah. Um, and that was the week when everything started canceling. And it was like the day of the concert, they decided to postpone it. Yeah. So that was one that we missed out on. And obviously we missed out on a vacation and I am a huge sports fan. And I did, ended up doing like whenever all this stuff canceled and postponed or whatever you want to call it, I did an episode just kind of like hashing out my, my feelings. And honestly, like part of it, that's like, I'm a huge baseball fan. And so like mm-hmm. baseball season was supposed to start last week and all that kind of stuff. And it sucks, but like, it kind of, this is weird to say, but it helps me feel a little bit better knowing that I'm not doing it alone. Like everybody else that's a baseball fan is also missing out on baseball. So it's like, well, like there's nothing we can really do. Like we just kind of have to it's wait. It's a community event one way or the other. Yeah. Like we're just yeah. kind of have to wait together in our misery. I mean, the only thing that really has sucked is like today I found out my tennis season was canceled and it was my last year coaching. Yeah. So like, that's a unique thing to me that a lot of people won't feel that same, you know, hard, emotion. Though. Yeah, it's hard. And so it's like, I, that, that, that'll probably hit me harder than not being able to watch sports because sports will come back on. And like, mm-hmm. you know, it's great to watch the NCAA tournament. It's great to watch 
the masters or whatever you, you know, baseball, but yeah, I, I, I think for me, I just miss like, like my wife and I go out to eat every Friday. It's like a little date night thing. And it's just kind of something we look forward to. And now it's like, we're having to settle for takeout or I'm grilling out a lot, which is not bad, but like, it's just it's different. And I love going and sitting down, having a beer or two being waited mm-hmm. on. And it's just different whenever we've got to clean up all of our dishes and all that kind of stuff more often. So we're learning a lot about each other and learning a lot about, um, I guess what our limits are. And, you know, a lot of things that we put off are, you know, we're able to have time to do now, which I think that's a good thing, you know, not to be, not to Jesus juke this conversation real quick, but like, it is good to have more time to like be in the word and, and spend time with God. And like, for me, I've been working on a book for about a year and a half and I finally have time to work on that where mm-hmm. yeah, I was yeah, giving yeah. myself distractions before. And now I'm like, I have no distractions unless I create them for myself. And so <laughs> I'm kind of finding ways to use the time productively. And I, I think I'm still getting adjusted. And it sounds like, you know, you were, we were talking before we recorded, like people are saying this is the new normal. It's like, well, we don't really know what the normal is and we don't really know how long this is going to go on for. So we don't really know what we're adjusting for or how long we're adjusting for it. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's such a weird thing to, to think about. Like, you know, we go on walks and runs and that kind of thing. But other than that, the, the, the life outside of, you know, normal, people are normally driving and going places. It's just the, the roads are clear for the most part. We drive by restaurants. Nobody's mm-hmm. in the restaurants. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just weird. I'm sure it's even weirder when you're in a big city like Nashville and you're so used to all kinds of stuff going on. And for the most part, you know, it's a little dead. I haven't been downtown and probably won't go, but even, yeah, it, it, it's weird in the sense that obviously there's not a lot of traffic, no places open, but it's just getting nice here now, probably not too dissimilar from where it is in Bowling Green there. And, uh, and if you go on a run, it's like playing ping pong a lot. Like someone is running toward everybody's running. And so you're like going, like, am I going to cross the street? You had to maintain that six foot barrier of space around people, which you can do, but everyone's outside because there's nowhere else to go. And I don't know how long we'll have that. Uh, yeah, it, it's a strange time and I'm yeah. trying to use it. Well, I, I don't think that, um, a lot of my, like, you're always trying, everybody's always trying to learn, like, what does it mean to be a good person? How do I be a good, um, how do I be good to my, to my neighbors, to my family, to my community? And what's the best way I can work for the common good right now. And all of the work that we've done thinking about that and practicing that and, and hearing from that, learning about that, just all of a sudden kind of doesn't apply. It does. The base, the bare principles are there. But the praxis that we've used for most of our lives is suddenly very, very different. So it's I was talking to uh, David Kinneman. He's president of the Barna Group in California, and he called it for churches. And I think it's true for all of us, a real time experiment, learning, just trying new things in terms of what it means to be a good person, to love your neighbor, to work towards the common good of your community, your city, your country, Uh, because a lot of people don't know the answer anymore all of a sudden yeah david's a guy that i wanted to have on this podcast i've never talked to him but i may have, oh, have make a, i may have to have you make a connection because i'm he's I, a good I, I, oh I've yeah i'll send an email i referenced a lot of his work in the book that i'm writing because the barnard barnard group does such amazing stuff so mm-hmm. anybody who's listening that has never checked out what the barnard barnard group does first of all like their instagram they're always posting cool stuff and David's awesome. I've heard him on podcasts and everything. So yeah, he, as a side note, yeah, I'd love to get him on too sometime. He's a pro. Yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking of this as you were talking. I mean, you're, so you're in Nashville and I had Barnabas Piper on a, a few weeks ago yeah. and we were talking about how his church was responding to the tornado efforts, the relief efforts. And as is the case with any natural disaster, 
it seems like there's always a push the weeks after to kind of help out and, and people, you know, to, to volunteer. And then it kind of fades a little bit. And I, I noticed that whenever I went on uh, mission trips down to the Katrina affected areas, there was mm-hmm. still a lot to be done. And there's probably still a lot of recovery that needs to happen in Nashville. But now we're tasked, you guys are tasked with doing that without really being able to be in large groups. I don't know how much you're involved in any of this or how much you've seen it, but like, what is the recovery effort like still following those tornadoes, given what our, our restrictions are socially right now? That's really kind of you to ask because the tornadoes obviously got put in the rearview mirror pretty quick for most of the nation. Yeah. Understandably so. I, I, I don't fault anybody for that, but, um, but we had just, it was a real bad one-two punch that is probably going to have a pretty serious effect on our community here. And, and I don't know what the local business scene is going to look like on the other side of this, but I think that we are unusual in an unusually bad spot for recovering from self-quarantine. Because uh, a lot of the city, yeah, there were people who did not have power when self-quarantine began. So... A, you can't go out, but B, you can't really stay in. So what yeah. are these people supposed to do? Uh, things are better, but I, but when I took a, I took a walk, uh, a longer walk, we were about a, uh, my wife and I live uh, about three quarters of a mile from where the worst of it was in our part of Nashville. So it was loud when it came through, but you know, we our roof is fine. We're we're we got through okay. Um, but if you walk too far in any direction from our house, uh, there's still a lot of people who just have tarps over their roof, and uh, that's where they have to live now. And that's going to be really hard, and I don't know what the solution – I don't know if anybody has – like we were talking about for our individual lives, you can't really pre- – the mayor can't prep for this. Nobody expects something – a disaster like this to happen consecutively. It's it's bad. It's bad. I, I think I think Nashville's in for a very tough next couple of months and years. That one hurt particularly deep for my wife and I, just because so much of like our relationship has spent, has been spent in Nashville. Because she's from Bowling Green. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Yeah. So like whenever we whenever we dated and she was still living in Bowling Green, I mean, we traveled down there almost every weekend that we could just to go get coffee or go out to dinner or go shopping. It was just like that was where we went, and like we have so many memories there. And on top of that, we have a lot of friends there and some friends that live in East Nashville. And to hear where the tornado went through, I mean, it was like so many areas that we've been to and recognized oh, yeah. and are meaningful to us. And I'm uh, sure Five Points was part yeah, of your thing, yeah. Germantown and all that. Yeah, like, we're I, in East I just Nashville. Had a, okay. Yeah, I just had a, like one of my good friends lives in East Nashville. I, I went to his house back in January and interviewed him for this podcast. And he was telling us about all of his favorite spots in the neighborhood. He's a filmmaker. And he was telling us about how it's such a really cool artsy community and um, you know, so many of our artists that we that we listen to and like live in that area. You know, Drew Holcomb, they all live around mm-hmm. that area too. And mm-hmm. it's just like, man, like that for some reason hit me a little bit deeper. And then my hometown just got hit by a tornado last week. And I'm just like, this is just getting a little bit too a little bit too much. And so it was like a Jumanji game somebody forgot to finish. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like a, one of those things. Yeah. I I think I tweeted this a few a few weeks ago, but I was like, you know. 2020 was a video game. This is about the time whenever I'd shut it off and just start over. <laughs> too hard. <laughs> yeah. Like it just, it feels like, it feels like it's just, it's just too much. Um, you know, and, and it, you write for relevant, which is, you know, a faith-based publication that mm-hmm. you mostly cover the intersection of culture and faith. But, you know, when you look at all this from a faith perspective, I mean, how, how do, how can Christians respond to this? I mean, Cause I know, I know there's a lot of people that 
are probably angry at God, which is not a total, you know, wrong emotion to feel, but like they're probably wondering like why why is this happening? Especially people where maybe they live in Nashville or another place where they're dealing with not just COVID nineteen, but something else. Or for instance, like I was thinking about how just like the typical things that would bring somebody to the hospital, like those are almost put on the back burner now because they're so focused on COVID nineteen. I was watching a video today of a doctor in, in New York City. He said that their their hospital it's a 12,000 bed hospital that primarily does like heart scans and other, takes care of heart issues. And it's been transitioned now to a primarily COVID-19 hospital. So that tells me that there's a lot of infrastructure that is not able to take care of people that they normally would do. And it's just like, there's so many things that are compounding this that make it mm-hmm. difficult. And so as Christians, I mean, what, what if you personally, and then I guess what, you know, what is a way that like, a Christian can help somebody who's maybe frustrated with this that he doesn't understand how to make any sense of this or deal with it or that kind of thing. I know it's kind of a loaded question, but like, I don't know, what is oh, your take yeah. on that from a Christian perspective? I mean, I've, I've tried to think about this a lot. And, and like I said, I, I'm still very new at this, like we all are. So everything that I say is speculation at this point. I think that largely, and, and this is not always the case for me, um, but largely, I've been pretty impressed with the ways that the church has taken advantage of this. There's obviously obviously been some very notable exceptions of people who have been pretty selfish and some of the grandstanding pastors we've seen who are, oh, I'm going to hold church no matter what. And, and I think the broad majority of people know these people are being are being foolish and, and they're, they've gotten in trouble with the law in some cases, and I think that's fair. Um, so, but, uh, so I've been pretty happy to see the ways that the American church has tried to quickly react to this. And and I think that's really good. Uh, What I've been trying to move towards is, is now that we've kind of gotten through the initial triage phase of get everybody home, stop meeting together, which I think most folks are, are abiding by now is what does it mean now for us as a, as the American church to creatively love our neighbor uh, from a distance. And that's going to be very difficult. It's going to take a lot of, it is going to take a lot of creativity and, and creative redistribution of resources. Cause I think what people need now from us most is things that are hard to give them things like money and food and just supplies, things that are in, that we're short on and that we're all nervous about, you know, a lot, we all have financial anxiety right now and food anxiety, and we don't know what's next. Uh, but this is where the teachings of Jesus, which are always difficult, become very, very difficult. The teaching, uh, you know, it, if somebody asks you for uh, for your your cloak, give them your robe as well. Uh, giving sacrificially to people, uh, people need these things. They really do. And for those of us who do have these things, which isn't all of us and it's not our fault, uh, not everybody is going to have the means to give sacrificially right now, but for those of us who do, who are still experiencing some level of, um, who, who haven't been hit by the economic downturn or the uncertainty yet, I think that it is our goal now to start thinking creatively and even in groups together, coming together online as a community to figure out who needs the things that we have and how can we get them to them. Uh, the second part of your question is the tougher one, the, the why us, like why now, what's yeah. going on? And that's been a question the church has had since Jesus. Uh, Jesus had it too, as far as I can tell from the Bible, like why me, well, what, take this cup from me. But it's, 
uh, and it's still very, very pertinent to the situation. And I don't know, man. I, I think that I wrote about this today a little bit. I've been listening to a lot of Sufjan over the past couple of weeks. I don't know. He's just felt like a very, he's yeah. <laughs> very, yeah, yeah. And he's felt like a very present voice for me. And I think it's partly because of his, his, uh, I wouldn't call it comfort, but his understanding or acceptance of the nearness of death at all times. He has a very, um, it's not a warm relationship, but it is an understanding relationship that death is part of our the human experience. And biblically speaking, death is an important part of our, uh, of our salvation. We have to die to ourselves. And I think that is a more literal thing than we sometimes take it to be as Protestants uh, or speaking for myself as a Protestant. Um, so I, I think that having that posture of understanding that this is a season in which death is more near than usual. And, uh, and that is, there's something very richly biblical about that is really, that's, that's a difficult thing, difficult attitude to have, but I think it's also a beautiful one and one that I hope will change us as a church and that we can carry with us e even after this whole quarantine thing lifts. Yeah, I, I love that perspective, and I've really, I, I've enjoyed your perspective on a lot of issues, and, I, and I, I've been fortunate to have a few pieces published by Relevant, and I was kind of turned on to Relevant by some of your writing, and so I, that's why I was oh, excited to have oh, you on cool. here. Thank so, you. So, like, I, I, I've been fortunate to have had a, a few pieces published that I was really proud of, and and I really have enjoyed just your different takes on a lot of different issues, but particularly you wrote one recently about how the church can and should respond, and it was about how we cannot sacrifice people on behalf of the economy. And I just thought mm -hmm. that was so timely mm -hmm. given how there's so much talk right now about how the economy is going to struggle, how the economy is going to hurt. And like, that's true. But your post is basically saying as the church, like we need to stand up for the people more than the bottom dollar. And I, I guess, how did you arrive at that, at that take and that, you know, that idea and, uh, first of all, I mean, I agreed with it wholeheartedly, and it just seemed like it, within a couple days that Donald Trump was was tweeting stuff that kind of was, you know, uh, opposite of what you had written and that kind of thing. And so not in relation to your article, but, you know, just he was perpetuating the idea that you were kind of refuting. So how did you mm -hmm. arrive at that take and what has been the response to that? I know that's one of just many things that you write, but that was one that stood out to me. And what's been the response to that? Um, so I, I think that it was... It, so that was an interesting one. It was interesting how quickly after the economic downturn that became a pretty popular position uh, from from various people and, e and even some people who I admire um, that uh, that maybe the smart thing to do is to is to take the risk that, that some older folks immunocompromised folks should be willing to accept the risk that this is going to provide for them in order to keep the economy more stable than it is. And what I don't want to anyone to, to hear me say, and I hope this comes across in the piece if you happen to read it, is that I think I do think the economy is important. Okay. Uh, the economy is people's lives. The economy is people's jobs and well-beings. And, and uh, I, I'm not saying, I, I think it's possible to care about the economy in a way that is caring about caring about people's lives. What I want to make sure that we're doing is not making this a binary choice where either we take uh, the lives of elderly people, immunocompromised people seriously, or 
we care about the economy. We live in the United States of America. We have a vast amount of resources. We, we're, we have a lot of money. We don't have to make these sorts of choices here. The economy's fall is going to be extremely difficult for a lot of people. It's going to affect all of our lives. This is going to be part of our story now. We have the resources to uh, soften this blow for our most vulnerable citizens. Uh, we, we can do that. And I'm just saying that we should that now is the time to do that so that we don't have to make the choice between people like my grandmother, uh, my immunocompromised brother-in-law, and as we're learning more and more, uh, mostly affects older people and immunocompromised people does not mean exclusively. We're seeing we're seeing healthy people lose their lives who are who are very young, and and uh, so I think that take grew a lot less popular once that realization kind of sunk in. Because uh, it was only these, because it was only those people who were saying it. Um, we, as the church, believe in the culture of life. We we value everyone's life, everyone's life. Uh, that's old people. That's people who are sick. Uh, that's people who the society will be the first to cast off. We are the ones who have always, always said. I know other people don't think this is true, but we think this is true. We think you matter, and we're going to find a way to save everybody. We're not going to make a calculation. We're going to do whatever it takes to say to say yes to every single person. Uh, and insofar as it depends on us as a church, uh, there that that is going to be. I want that to be our legacy as a as a church in this country. Yeah, I. I... 100% agreed with with all that. And it was like within a couple of days that Trump was basically like, we need to be back to work by Easter, <laughs> that kind of thing. And it just was kind of like, man, you got to be so out of touch. I feel like to, to feel like that's a, a plausible one. I think he's kind of backtracked on that a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Which is, which is good. And I, is I've good. just, I've been, I've been amazed by some of the politicians, how they've handled this. We're very fortunate here in Kentucky. Our governor's handled it very well. I've been very impressed with your governor. I really have. He's, yeah. he's set really up um, a bar pretty high, especially here in the South. I, I've I mean, liked it a lot. I mean, he's his he does a, a daily briefing at 4 p.m. Central, and we're, we're recording during it right now, but typically I make it a point to watch it because, like, it's actually, like, I learn a lot, and he communicates very well, and it was a very close race. He won over Matt Bevin, who Matt Bevin was kind of like a, a, a seemed like he tried a lot to be tr the Trump of Kentucky, just mm -hmm. his behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of Kentuckians are realizing like, man, we're really grateful that we have Andy Bashir leading our state during this time because the way that he's been able to handle it. Uh, but I've been also amazed by some governors like today, uh, the day that we're recording it, I, I read where the governor of Georgia just now apparently found out that coronavirus <laughs> could be spread through asymptomatic people. I and saw I'm just that. Kind of, I'm just amazed. Like, how do you, how are you the leader of a state with one of the largest cities in America, and you're just now finding out what I would consider to be one of the basic principles of this virus? One of the first things I learned about it. That yeah. Was the, <laughs> yeah. And the, and the, did you see the Center for Disease Control is in Atlanta? It's yeah. like 20 minutes from the from the, 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 uh, it's not even it's a local phone call. Yeah. You could have figured that out. I, I can't imagine being that governor and then saying that out loud and realizing like, oh, that's like me saying I didn't realize two plus two equals four. If like, it's true. Yeah, if it's I, true, if he's telling the truth, which I'm not totally, I'm not sure there's not some cynicism at play there, but but that true, that yeah. could be my own cynicism speaking into that as well. But yeah, it's it's been fascinating from just a human standpoint to see how different people have reacted, because then you have all the, you know, the the truthers and conspiracy theorists mm -hmm, that are out yeah. there. That's been depressing. And I've had to I've had to tell some people 
that were texting me certain types of information, I've had to tell them like, Hey, like, please, like, I just don't want to fill my mind with all this yeah. kind of stuff. Like, Keep like I'm trying to, I'm trying to pick and choose where I get my news from, because if I just get it from anywhere and everywhere, I'm going to go crazy. And that's, mm-hmm. a, I mean, as a, a journalist, I taught journalism as well. So like, I, you know, media literacy is something that I value. And so I really am skeptical about which media I consume. And I don't want to just be inundated with all sorts of different things that I could tell are either not true or exaggerated. But I guess from, from a culture standpoint, what has been something that, that you've I don't want to say just notice because that's too easy, but I guess what has been some of the, the fascinating things about culture and how culture has responded to this virus, I guess, societally, and then also um, kind of the different systems and culture. Like, we, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, sports and that kind of stuff, but just in terms of like our culture in America, how we've responded to this, what has been some of the things that have stood out to you? Um, one thing that I would say that is sort of an early maybe uh, uh, fatality in this or, or is going to fall by the wayside that I think is a, could be a good thing if it sticks, and I don't know that it will, um, but has been what I would consider to be a valuable sort of uh, death of the celebrity worship doesn't work in a pandemic. You need one thing that has been very frustrating for me as somebody who reports on uh, on pop culture and so celebrity culture gets wrapped into that necessarily a lot is how quick certain media outlets not all of them but certain media outlets will be to say something to the effect of um uh sophie turner has the perfect response to somebody who tried <laughs> to body shame her and then you look at it and you're like i don't know about perfect it was like not it was like the most obvious like she, she it was a she, fine response yeah she didn't take yeah she she didn't take crap from somebody who tried to call her fat which is a positive thing but we don't need i don't think we need to make a headline out of that and now when you try to apply that to a pandemic it just doesn't work uh people who are doing uh the bare minimum the famous mo- the best example most famous Camille, is the imagine video that uh oh, featured yeah. it, that was like <laughs> sort of organized it seemed like by gal gadot maybe and and featured people uh kristen wig uh, i think derulo was in there yeah. and was rightfully mocked off the internet and that was just kind of a silly uh, internet-y thing that that happened and it's not that big of a deal but what i like and what i hope lasts is this realization that um celebrities are not like our halfway point between the elites and the normal people, they're not the, the they're not us, and we yeah. should be hold them to the same standards that we hold uh, anybody else to in society. And what they do doesn't have to be perfect, or and doesn't have to be terrible either. Like it's not not every single thing is cancelable, and not every single thing is praiseworthy. They're they're just humans. Many of them are very dumb, like us are. Some of them are very smart. And I have seen some genuinely praiseworthy examples of famous people going above and beyond to try to do the right thing and help out because they have an excess amount of resources that they can, and that's good, and and that's cool. And I want to save our – and that can be good, too, for them to set a good example for the rest of us and say, well, okay, so Ryan Reynolds is giving a million dollars to a food bank. I can't give a million dollars to a food bank, but – that's a reminder that I should be with what resources I can. I can, can do a good job. That's the sort of stuff I think we should save our praise for and that we, especially people like me who work in media, should try to platform and say good things about and not just a snarky Instagram comment that maybe wasn't yeah. <laughs> immediately canceled. You know what I mean? Does that yeah. make sense? I, I would hope that this changes the way that we talk 
about that whole culture, which is very, it's a huge part of American life, uh, yeah. the way that we gossip about the celebs. Yeah, there's so many people that they, they do, I guess, either pseudo worship or basically just kind of worship celebrities. And it's like, mm -hmm. they're so caught up in all that. Like, you know, like some people really will go all out just to see like a glimpse of like a D-list celebrity. So it's, yeah, I think yeah. It's a, that's an interesting take that you had which, there. Which I, which I get. I saw one yesterday and this, this involves uh, Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, but this isn't me. I'm not trying to drag Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. And I hope that I make that clear here. They evidently, they're also landlords and own, uh, some apartment buildings in Los Angeles, and they uh, are giving tenants in their buildings the month of April off from paying rent without being evicted, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, in many states right now, legally, I don't think you can evict. In Tennessee right now, you 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 can't evict anybody. Uh, yeah. But I'm you know that's like a a good thing for them to do. Uh, but there were so many posts like. Kristen Bell and Dex Shepherds are the best landlords ever. Like, this is why we stand. We have no choice but to stand Kristen Bell and Dex Shepherd. And it's like if you if you worship celebrities, you will end up having to. We all have to worship something, right? We all praise something. And if you worship celebrities, you will have to end up worshiping just the worst miracles, just the dumbest, most inane, basically just PR moves that, that you're having to praise. Uh, and, uh, and that's not their fault. Like, I'm glad they're doing, it. I'm glad they're not charging people rent, but I hope that the conversation, the way the rest of us think about these people, uh, from my land, that would be an interesting thing. It's long overdue for a change in yeah. that. Hey guys, just interrupting this conversation with Tyler real quick, tell you about the good folks over at Donato's Pizza here in Bowling Green. I mentioned it the last few episodes, but they are a great locally owned place here in Bowling Green that really does care about the community and is trying to do their part to be a good corporate citizen, especially during this COVID-19 stay-at-home order situation that we've been living in. They gave out 600 free pizzas a few weeks ago, and they are still open if you want to get takeout or even delivery they're open for that and also if you want to get delivery and don't want to have to deal with anybody in person they have a no contact delivery option so give my buddy spence and his friends at donato's pizza a call they've been kind enough to support the show the last few episodes so make sure you go and support them as well all right back to the show speaking of celebrities did you get a chance to watch tiger king yet have you watched this two eps two episodes in Okay. So don't give it. Don't go too far. Oh, okay. We but just I, finished. I know it's a thing. We just finished it last night, and man, it is. It. I think after somebody said after episode three, it gets pretty crazy, and so you're. And that's. I think I would agree with that. Okay. Uh, the All first right. couple right. are just kind of setting up the story, but. Got it. Okay. So I was hoping we could get into it, but don't, you, you got to finish don't, that. Don't, no, don't, prop, I don't want to ruin me, it. I, <laughs> propaganda was on the relevant podcast uh, last week, and he was talking about Tiger King, and then like. Everybody's talking about Tiger King, so I am going to watch it. I'm just not too deep into it yet. We can't go too far into it. Did you ever listen to the S-Town podcast? Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it, I think I would compare it a lot to that, just okay. in terms of, like, I have a weird affinity for those kind of, like, weird subculture stories. So S-Town, and there was another documentary called Escaping Nexium. I don't know, or not a documentary, but it was a podcast called Escaping Nexium that was kind that of about a cult. Familiar, but, yeah. okay. it, so that... Um, I can't remember the actress's name, but there was an actress on some TV show that was involved in this like cult. Mm 
And so you're, I mean, you're super into pop culture. You, you might actually be interested in that one. And was it was this like that kind of sex cult that took place yes. in Los Angeles, right? And yeah. she was maybe in Smallville. That's I can't what it was. think of yep. her name. I, I don't remember her name, That's but I, I know, I know the story, the broad bullet points of the story. I could look this up as we're talking, but yeah, that was what it was. It was, uh, some, yeah, some crazy sex cult that was based out of Los Angeles. And, and we watched it actually on the way to my wife's graduation at Liberty last year. It was, it was like our travel, um, our travel entertainment, but yeah, that was, uh, that was one of the crazy ones, but I, I would say that this documentary reminded me a lot of S town just because of okay. like the, which, the, I, the which crazy, I did enjoy a lot, the crazy subculture of it. So yeah, I'll have to look up. I, Keith Rainier was the guy's name and he was, um, what is her name? I can't, I can't remember. I can't find it quick enough, but, um, they basically were like branding these people with this guy, Keith Rainier. And then whatever this actress's name, people who are listening might know what her name was. They're like shouting, Oh, Allison Mack. That's what it was. Allison Mack. Okay. That's right. So, so they were like branding these people with their initials. It was, it's crazy. Yeah. You got to listen to that. Okay. All right. that was a story that captured my attention for a little bit, but I didn't even know how to, it seemed so big and so weird that a podcast yeah. would be really the only way that, all right, I'm done. If, if, I'm done. If you have any, if you have any long drives or I guess now, whenever you have time on your hand, just, just sit around. Yeah. Just around. <laughs> I, don't, I can't remember how many episodes there were, but that was, that was one of my favorites just because it was so bizarre. So I, I really like those, you know, weird, bizarre stories. We had, we watched the dirty John documentary. We listened to that mm. podcast a couple years ago mm. or whenever it came out. So, yeah, I was like, whenever Andy Downs was talking to Eddie Koffeltz last week about Tiger King, and she was like, this reminded me a lot of S-Town. And I was like, all right, Emily, I was talking about why. I was like, we need to, we need to watch it then. If, it, if it's similar to S-Town, I think I'll, I think I'll enjoy it. Because I was kind of anti. I was like, ah, everybody's doing it. Like, it's like the cool thing to do. Like, kind of like how everybody watched Game of Thrones. I was like, okay. ah, I don't want to go into are that. You, are you one of those guys who, when you, there's a, like something kind of enters the cultural zeitgeist, you get yeah. a, you get an obstruction, you get like a little bit react well, against it a little bit. Like, oh, I don't want to do yeah. it. Like now you're like, all are doing that. Like, I didn't read any of the Harry Potter books, which uh-huh. I feel kind of weird about, but like, I mean, those came out when I was in like, it started when I was in like fourth grade. And like, frankly, I just wasn't a huge reader. I was just always into sports. So I was like, Harry Potter, that seems weird. I'm not doing that. And then I missed this whole cultural phenomenon that by the time I got to college, it was like, everybody was like experiencing the pinnacle of Harry Potter culture. And I wasn't there for it. And then, yeah, I wasn't as big into Game of Thrones. Um, well, I don't even know what some of the other big shows were. Like, I don't watch a lot of TV shows when they're live. I think Suits was the only one that I watched, and I really stopped watching, like, shortly before Meghan Markle left the show. And then I just was like, well, I don't have that channel anymore. Or I think it was USA. I was like, I don't have I don't have DVR to record it, so I'm not going to go back and watch it. So, yeah, I don't really watch a lot of shows as they're live. So it's not like I purposely ignore the – the popular culture things, but I just, it's never been the, never been something that I do. So yeah, it's, it's funny that I was like, you know, I think I need to experience this one. It's only seven episodes. So yeah. <laughs> I and do the opposite. If there's a zeitgeist, I'm like, I'm like, and this doesn't happen very often anymore because it's all little zeitgeists, right? Yeah. It's all, we're all, we're a fractured culture now. Um, so you really get like the Super Bowl and the Oscars and then your occasional, MCU or Parasite or something like that for the most, but I but I love when something becomes so big that everybody's talking about it. It's it's fun for me. It cre- creates a sense of like community. Yeah, I used to whenever I was in high school, and we're, we can talk about some of these. You're, you're a big superhero movie, and so there's a lot of times whenever those kind of movies would come out, they would come out as like a midnight showing. And I'm not uh-huh, super yeah. big into 
I'm not super big into comics or like, I'm not like one of those people that are like, you know, I got to see every single superhero movie, all that kind of stuff. But I enjoy them. Like I enjoy like, kind of like you're saying, I enjoyed the culture around them. And especially when there was like a midnight showing, I was like, Oh, I'm there. Like I love a midnight showing. It's just the energy was cool. So that like, I would be there for those things, but like, yeah. Midnight showings are a good time. They still are. Yeah. I like them a lot. I feel like I I haven't been to one in a long time. And maybe it's just because I've been a teacher and like, I just, my schedule has not allowed me to go to a midnight showing and stay up until two o'clock watching a movie. But um, yeah, I, I couldn't have you on the podcast without talking about superheroes and comics. Sure. That's what you're getting into. And I, like, if somebody like me who kind of has a passive interest in like superhero type movies, if I if I wanted to kind of get like the beginning in context of like some of these stories, I know there's like mm-hmm. so many different stories and plot lines and you know branches to these. What's like a good starting point? I mean, I think if you if you're talking about the Marvel cinematic universe if that's the that's the big one right right um then i think you can honestly still just watch them in the order they came out there i I think you just go through pull up a a list and uh and i can i can share it with you and you can share it with your listeners i've put together a little i have like a little powerpoint that can walk you through it um but starting with iron man which came out in 2008 robert downey jr and at the time it's very strange to go back and watch knowing where it ends up to go back and watch Iron Man in 2008. And, and, uh, they clearly were just like, well, we've done Spider-Man. Uh, we don't have a lot else going on right now. Let's try this guy. Cause at the time Iron, you know, people didn't know much about who Iron Man was. He was not a major superhero. He wasn't the X-Men. Uh, he wasn't Spider-Man. He wasn't even the incredible Hulk. He was just some guy. And now he's the most popular one of them all. Uh, and that movie holds up pretty well, I think. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., mostly on the strength of Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. So if you start there, I think you'll at least be able to see some of the... They only have the germ of an idea of what was maybe possible, and obviously it became much bigger than any of them could have really anticipated at the time. But the formula was really there of having a a likable actor play a, a pretty flat like feet of clay hero um have as many have some decent comedy chops involved you want some you want them to be funny because these a lot of these operate functionally as sort of action comedies yeah and uh and then do as much as you can to establish these people as interesting characters outside of the costumes before you put them into them that's what how most of the movies work and that was what made it so refreshing was uh um at the time how many how the batman movies were trending the exact opposite direction towards we want this to be dark we want this to be we want this to be gritty we want this to be like what if superheroes were real and were and sucked you know and and i love those batman movies i really like those are great obviously christian bale christopher nolan's batman movies are are really really good but i think a lot of I think Hollywood in general learned a lot of the wrong lessons from those movies by trying to make everything really gritty and really grim and not doing it nearly as as, uh, intelligently as Christopher Nolan did. And the smart thing that Marvel did was try to go the opposite direction to establish itself as something very different. And, uh, and that ended up working. I think it paid dividends for them and ended up becoming the biggest franchise in the world. That's what's kind of interesting is for most of my life, uh, this was very much my own little weird thing. And I got 
teased about it in junior high. You know, like <laughs> you weren't supposed to like what nobody liked superheroes. It wasn't cool to like superheroes. It, you were you, you couldn't even talk about it. And if I went to a comic book store, the guy behind the counter was like there were just flies zooming around and dust yeah. on all the comics and nobody would go in. And that was kind of charming in its own way because it was it was our little thing. It was our the nerds little community that we had. And if you found somebody else who was into it, it was like finding a unicorn. You were like, oh, wow. Hot. Yes, I, I've read that. Oh, I, yeah, I do know who Guardians of the Galaxy are, like that sort of thing. And now and now seven-year-olds dress up like star lord for halloween it's been it's cool i'm not upset about it i don't i'm not one of those people who's like mad that something gets cool now and i can't like it anymore but it's been it's weird that black panther who for most of my life was like a d-list hero is the highest grossing movie and that's just very strange you know that's very strange but it's cool i i do think it's a net positive i think it's got to be interesting because that's like a culture that you're like I don't want to say protective over, but it's like, I feel this way about, I mean, whenever I have like an interest that I feel like nobody else has, and I'm like way more knowledgeable about it than they are. Sometimes I get yeah. very protective over it. And so it's, it's got it like for you, like, what you just said about how, like, what, why, why do you guys like this superhero? He's like a, not, he shouldn't be that big, but it's like, it's just funny how people who maybe aren't as into it or don't know like the context of it. It's like, this is what they latch onto. Like you just, it's just kind of an interesting, like, cultural study to see why why people why people like this thing over that thing like i can't think of anything like most of what i like is pretty well you know received like i'm a well, big baseball now, fan same. sports <laughs> yeah. yeah but like I, for a while like you know I, I was super big into pokemon when i was a kid and like growing oh, up i yeah, kind of yeah yeah like i i've kind of since they introduced pokemon go i got back into that for a while and then like it was one of those things where i felt like you know there's a lot of people that they, they liked it kind of passively when it was around. And I was like, I was kind of a little bit more into it than a lot of people. So like, I feel like I know a little bit more than some people. And whenever somebody would talk about it, I'd be like, actually that's, you know, I'd get like super like kind of protective. Like, that's not true. This is actually X, Y, and Z. So it's just interesting. You're talking about how like, yeah, like that was a D-list in your mind. That was like a D-list superhero. And now all of a sudden it's the most popular grossing movie. But for me, it's legitimizing too. Because yeah. in some ways it's proof that you're not crazy. Like, okay, these were actually cool like they had a lot of appeal it just wasn't a it just never had that like comic book comic books are still like i i don't think a lot of local comic book shops are going to come out of this because it's a struggling industry the success of the movies has not really translated over to comics because it's a it's an outdated medium it's they're, they're little paper books they, they don't they're not built to last and and i like reading them a lot but uh but i don't i understand why that hasn't really lasted all that well so i yeah i i completely i'm glad that it's been as successful as it is and and uh i i think that there are still for me i've been able to i think a lot of my uh my interest in it has changed but i'm still very interested in the mythos in the broad uh, I don't get too into Joseph Campbell stuff, but the but the broad like uh, meta myth of of what these characters can represent and the way they can help, especially uh, younger readers, kind of shape their own moral universe. I think is still really important and has a lot of value. And the best ones, the best writers, do a really good job of that. And I think 
I understand there's some downsides probably for the superhero dominance of the box office. I can definitely see that. But you're also watching really cool characters live with a really stark example of right and wrong and how to utilize their power, their great powers, great responsibility. And I think that's a good thing. That's And that's cool because it's. I think just like any other story, there's morals and plots and themes and stuff that you can analyze, which I assume is all stuff that you guys do on your podcast, the Cape Town podcast, sure. you know, with yeah, different yeah, stories. Yeah. But that's, I think it's fascinating whenever you look at it that way. It's like, you know, there are, you know, there, there's this moral battle here that we can look at. I mean, like I taught literature and it's like, it's no different than teaching a book where you still got storylines and sure. that kind of thing. So I think from that perspective, it's got to be like, you're just, you're consuming stories in, a, in maybe a different fashion that other people don't. <laughs> yeah. And I think that um, I don't want to make them to be out to be more than they are or anything right. like that. I don't want to, I don't want to build them up. Uh, um, yeah. I don't want to build them up too much. Stan Lee isn't Donovan Franz or anything like that, but I do think it's saying it says something valuable. I think for me, something that I've really taken from these that I kind of alluded to earlier is in my life and in the lives of, uh, of I think for most of us, we're mostly used to seeing examples of power used really poorly and power corrupts. We all know that. We, we, we see examples of that every day and powerful people. And this is, this is uh, a nonpartisan thing. They, they just, power makes people bad and that's really disheartening and can make you very, very cynical. And in comics, when I was a kid, what I saw was examples of people who have power and see that as a burden of responsibility of now I can do things that other people can't. And how am I going to make sure to do that really well? And you saw the struggle. You saw that it wasn't easy, uh, that they had to really fight to maintain that sense of, you know, from everybody from Superman and Batman to Spider-Man very famously to the X-Men had to really fight to what is the right way to do this? What's the right way to be a good person? Yeah. But they did it. And I'm grateful that I consumed too much uh, comic book entertainment when I was a little kid <laughs> because it did instill in me, I think, a pretty rigid like uh, definition of uh, a black and white morality that I think is really important and uh, a... A, a sort of a I'm very skeptical of anybody who starts talking about gray areas or the greater good or the lesser of two evils that I, I'm I get very nervous about that sort of talk which is part of what we talked about earlier with being willing to sacrifice people's safety for the sake of the economy and I bet some of that comes from meeting a lot of Captain America when I was a little kid <laughs> yeah that's that's really fascinating I, I just finished a book are you familiar with the book called Killing Kryptonite by John Bevere I am not no it's uh, there are some things in it theologically that I didn't jive with, but uh -huh. it, it takes the idea of kryptonite, obviously from Superman, mm -hmm. and re relates it to the evils and the kryptonite in our lives that we deal with. And it was just interesting to kind of how he merged this superhero idea with merging it in our lives and our spiritual walk. So mm -hmm. I, I, it took me a while to get through it. Um, there were some good things about it. It wasn't wasn't my favorite book but it was yeah it was interesting because oh, no, it's no, like it sounds interesting it does yeah so it might be worth checking out because it's 
it's kind of melding that idea of, you know, obviously kryptonite is probably one of the most popular ideas from like well-known ideas from a superhero story. Like pretty much anybody understands where that comes from. So it's like one of the most identifiable things. So kind of the, the low hanging fruit in terms of cultural relevance into uh, <laughs> superhero stuff. But yeah, it was, it was fascinating. Um, and we talked about before we were, we were recording. See, I, I always associate with these superhero movies that, that they come out in the summer. And that's what I always look forward to those summer midnight showings. Yeah. We have the Eternals coming out this year, but that's not till November. What do you, what, what are you, you were saying how you're kind of excited about that movie more so have, than Venom? I guess it's coming out in October. See, I'm not, I did some research. I'm not a huge superhero fan, but I wanted to make sure I knew what I superhero tell. movies were coming out this year. So the Eternals, what, what is that? series or movie about and i guess what are you what are you looking forward to about that one okay so the eternals is an interesting one because it is so um the eternals are we, we i called black panther d-list earlier eternals would be like the y-list maybe <laughs> uh they they are low low on the the totem pole and and i think in some ways and i think people were really really surprised when that was announced as the next trip because it's kind of like even die hard marvel nerds of which i am one I, i've got a marvel tattoo i've been reading marvel comics my whole life and i'm kind of like oh yeah those guys i remember i i could not have told you when it was announced the names of any of the characters on that team, other than there's like, oh, there's some group called the Eternals that popped up kind of every now and then. Um, and I would have to think that that's probably the uh, sort of the interest for Marvel is I think comic book fans can be extremely annoying. And anytime you take any liberties with the source material, they get very, very upset about it. They, they get on social media and they start blasting you and it becomes this whole thing. <laughs> and it, like this character was supposed to be white and you made him half Hawaiian. Like it can be, it can get really absurd. Um, so I think the eternal, like nobody can pretend to be a crazy Eternals fan so they can do whatever they want. And I don't think anybody's going to be able to come through with some being too upset about the treatment of these characters and it's just a very so the the sort of there's two big uh we call them arcs uh which is a basically one story so there's comic book issues that come out every month and when you complete one full storyline that's called an arc right so it's basically like a season of a tv show right. where it stops to be continued and they start a whole new one there's two main eternals arcs one was written by jack kirby who is the most famous comic book artist of all time, created the Fantastic Four, the Incredible Hulk, the X-Men, Captain America, all those guys. Um, and then the other one was written by Neil Gaiman, who people are probably familiar with. Uh, Neil Gaiman wrote uh, Good Omens. He wrote Coraline, uh, Stardust, uh, uh, Mirror Mask, very famous sci-fi author, American Gods. They'd be very familiar with him from American Gods. Uh, and Marvel asked him what he wanted to write. This would have been in the early 2000s. And he said, could I write an eternal story? And they, I don't think they even remember that they had Eternals at that point, but they said <laughs> yes. And so he wrote, I think just a year, so 12 issues of an eternal series. And I think that's sort of the gold standard right now of what the Eternals are. So I'm, I'm excited, man. I, I'm excited to see what this studio, which has done a very good job with, for the most part with what they've had, can do when the there's like no lanes, no bumper lanes in the bowling green, bowling alley anymore. They can just yeah. kind of go crazy and and uh, see what happens with it. The cast, 
uh, Kamel Nanjiani, Angelina's in it, Brian T. Uh, Brian T. Henry. Um, really, really solid group of. Uh, I, I think he'd be a lot of fun, but I could not tell you anything about what it's going to be about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I could not even begin to guess because it's the basic idea of the Eternals is it's a group of people who have been living on the earth as human, disguised as humans for like a millennia, for like 5,000 years. They, they have extremely long lives. They have powers, but they don't want anybody to know about it. So every uh, like century or so they relocate and get away from people who know, and they, they start their lives over. And then at some point they are called to reunite, reband together to start a, a superhero team against a group of villains who know who they are. Wow, so I'll have to. I'm excited to check out Eternals now. Then I'll, I hope I'll so. Think, I hope so. Yeah, I, I think it'll be good. <laughs> I I have and the director, I should say, a woman named Chloe Zhao. She has done uh, only one movie before. What was it called? It's it's excellent. Uh, and even if you don't like, uh, especially I should say, if you don't like superhero movies, uh, the writer. A 2017, the rider like a horse rider. Okay. Uh, a, a 20, a 2017 movie that was the sole reason she was picked for this project was because of how strong this movie, which nobody saw, was. Uh, she wrote and directed it. It's fantastic. I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And I think if you watch that, you'll see why somebody at Disney saw this and be like, "This woman needs to be in charge of a bigger movie," and gave her. Uh, and, and gave her this Turtles movie. It's it's fantastic. Cool. I uh, th- this may take a long time for you to answer, so I'll ask you to maybe keep it like, like an elevator pitch and a half. But what is like sure. people that don't know the difference between DC and Marvel? What is like <laughs> how how can you explain that in a in a succinct way? Because I'll be honest, I to me I don't know. Like I know that there's some kind of a I don't know if there's a rift between the two of them. This is how low level my knowledge of these are. But no, like... no, no, it's not. This isn't well known. I mean, it's 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 like the two conferences in football. It's, okay. It, they're two different companies, and uh, it, it, they, uh, they they're they're just two different companies who are trying to do the same thing. And they're the biggest ones, and nobody else has really been able to touch their. It's not a monopoly. It's a it's a duopoly basically. And there are other there are other smaller ones. Um. There's there's like Image Comics, which is one. Uh, Top Cow is one. Dark Horse is one. But the they call them the big two in the comics industry is Marvel and DC. They do have DC was first. DC uh, has Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, who are called their Trinity, the the three main ones. And then obviously like the Flash and Aquaman, uh, the 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 Suicide Squad. They've so they've been around since before World War II, the DC comics, and Marvel then came in the 60s with Spider Man and the Fantastic Four and the Hulk and the X Men, and they were kind of seen and still are in a lot of ways as kind of like the rebellious upstarts to DC. Like, DC was like Bing Crosby and uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe 
and then Marvel came in and they're like the Rolling Stones okay. and uh, and they were so they and they really loved that and they early on like loved to spit in DC's face a lot and make fun of them because they like to see themselves justifiably or not as being kind of their their punky little brother who was always making fun of them from behind their back and they got a lot of attention for that and but it doesn't really work anymore because now Marvel's obviously much bigger than DC but they still try to maintain seeing themselves as kind of the punk rock to DC's more like big band sound. That that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I just was trying to decide, I was trying to figure out like what is the difference between the two and yeah, that's interesting. There's like a little bit of a, I wouldn't say riff, I guess, but yeah, I like, I, that's interesting. How you, They're like, in competition. They're, yeah. They are in competition and they do. And they, it's usually been pretty friendly. There's been one or two, I think a total of two times that they've actually collaborated on something. So there was like a Marvel versus Marvel versus DC where they pitted off uh, Superman versus the Hulk, Captain America versus Batman, Wonder Woman versus Storm and readers. And this was in the nineties, I believe and readers could actually call in and vote on who they wanted to win in the comics. And that would be the comic. Then the next month's issue would whoever got the most votes would win in that fight. Okay. The, the standard operating, uh, idea or the difference between the two which doesn't work perfectly but works pretty well is dc is more about gods learning to live as humans how does somebody like superman or wonder woman learn what it means to be a normal person how does somebody who has absolute power operate like a normal person um whereas marvel is about normal people learning to operate as gods what happens when peter parker suddenly has incredible powers and responsibility and then he's, but he's just a normal loser. And now he has to figure out how to do that. Steve Rogers, who <laughs> wasn't even allowed to be in the army. He was, he was too, he was rated at 4F unfit for service and then becomes the strongest one of them all. That's the, the loosely dividing ethos between the two. All right. Well, that's, that's fascinating. That's a, you kept it succinct. That was perfect. All right. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, uh, I I'm excited to check out the Eternals. I I don't remember the last superhero movie that I got to go to, but I hope if they come out with a with a midnight showing, and, <laughs> and we're not still on quarantine in November, which I hope to God by we're over oh, this yeah, by I then. Hope, I hope so. <laughs> if I was gonna recommend one, if so, if some for people who haven't watched any, if I was gonna recommend one of the uh of the characters in there right now, let's say. And and I do think you can you can watch them all. But the Captain America trilogy, Captain America is like my guy, has always been my guy. I like him a lot. The Captain America trilogy, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Captain America, Civil War are excellent. They're very, very well done. They're my favorite. I think they're mo- the most consistently good of the three, I, the three being Iron Man, Thor, and Cap- Captain America. Uh, they're, they're quite good. And I think you could get through. I think anybody could get through all those. Okay. We'll have to get the. I've got plenty of time now, so yeah. Assu- assuming they're on Hulu or Netflix, I'm sure I can find them somewhere and and watch those. Uh, one of my one of my favorite questions that I always like to ask people at the end of these shows. So, yeah. the, so the show is called In No Hurry, which is mm-hmm. a perfectly t- uh, titled podcast given what's going on in our culture right now. Um, typically, what I ask people is, when life is crazy how do you slow down? Well, now that life is pretty much slowed down for everybody, I kind of want to change that a little bit. And I guess we talked a lot about it whenever we first started, but I guess what have you enjoyed the most about being able to have life kind of slowed down a little bit? Mm -hmm. Uh, Walks, 
honestly. I've loved the the non-hurry of of uh, just going on longer walks outside. And uh, my wife is very into walking. She's a big believer in walks, has always been a big believer in walks before, long before this was happening. And um, I think that there is something very healing about it and something that's very, uh, I like, I like obviously the activity of it, but I also like the way it sort of connects you with the people in your neighborhood and your community. The, you're, you're, you're hopefully not like peering into their windows or anything like that, but you're sort of <laughs> necessarily becoming part of their lives in a way and yeah. the entry and there's people sitting on their porch and, and you're seeing, uh, people kind of in local businesses and, and uh, squirrels and other people who are walking with their dogs and parks. And I don't do very much of that. I live in, you know, we don't live in a big city. We live in Nashville. So we mostly drive everywhere, but uh, I have enjoyed the walking part of self quarantine. And uh, I hope, I mean, if I have to get a mask to keep enjoying it, then I'll do that. But but, uh, I am enjoying it. Yeah. That's my wife and I've talked about that. We've, We've fortunately have had some pretty good weather the last week. I think all but maybe one or two days has been pretty nice. And so like today we started, uh, are you familiar with this app called couch to 5k? It's like, Oh no, I'm not. So it's like, if you, for us, like we're not runners by any means, but we realized like we've completely out of shape and have put on weight that we didn't want to put on. Like we got married two years ago. We got married two years ago and in February. So we got married in December of 2017. And then in February, a couple months ago, we went to some outing and I tried to wear my wedding suit again and I couldn't button my jacket. And I was like, it's only been two years. (laughs) So we both were like, we need to do something while we're like, there's nothing else expected. Like my whole spring, like everything that I had planned for this spring is now canceled. So we're like, all right, we're going to start running. So it's super simple. Like today we did day one and it's like you warm up for five minutes, basically by walking for five minutes. Then you run a minute, walk a minute, run a minute, okay. and you do that like five times. So it's like each day it increases how long you run. So by the end of eight weeks, you should be able to run a 5K. And I had a friend telling me yesterday that he did it and he's lost like 25 pounds. And I was like, okay, well, like I don't need to lose 25 pounds, but I'd like to lose like 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's like, I think we're going to try to maybe start running a little bit more, uh, yeah. but we try to go on, try to go on walks. Like we live kind of right in the middle of Bowling Green and then Western Kentucky's campus, which is where we both mm-hmm. went to college is like really not that far from us. And then the downtown Bowling Green area, which is really just like a square with some restaurants and shops. That's like a mile from us. So like we'll walk down to the downtown area and then sometimes we'll walk to campus. And it's like, I think we did this over the weekend and it was like almost five miles all together. So it's like, we try to walk and now we're mixing in some runs. So, um, might, might get the bikes out too. So yeah, I think just being outside is, is the best thing for anybody right now. Cause if we get to the point where, you know, we're having to stay inside during this quarantine stuff and I don't, I don't think it'll get to that, but like the fact that we can go outside and walk is at least a saving grace. Cause it's like, if I'm just, if I'm just cooped up inside all day, man, I, I would, I can't imagine. Easy to lose it. Yeah. Easy to lose it. Well, Tyler, this was fun. Thank you for coming on. I enjoyed that. Oh, yeah, uh, man. I enjoyed learning about the superheroes comic books all the the different cultures that i'm not super familiar with so (laughs) i was looking forward to this and uh yeah excited to 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 share this with other people who maybe also are in my boat and they're not super big superhero fans but now they might be able to check out captain america check out the eternals and whatever you may have you you may have lost like 75 percent of your readership (laughs) like halfway point through this but i did but you asked you asked i did my part (laughs) 
no, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have faith that they stuck around to the end. But yeah, this was great, and uh, keep up the awesome work at Relevant. I always enjoy Thanks, reading man. your stuff. Um, it's it's I I, I have such a huge affinity for that publication. I'm always happy whenever I send something off to them and they agree to publish it because I feel like hey, if if they publish it, then maybe what I wrote was actually pretty good. So <laughs> keep sending them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've sent a couple things that I hope to have in my book, uh, just some parts of chapters, and they've published those. I'm like, okay, well, if it's published and relevant, then maybe it's actually not half bad. So, uh, so that's that's <laughs> always a that's a good that's a good barometer to gauge my, my writing with. But yeah, this was fun, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime soon. Sounds good, man. Can't wait. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Tyler. I definitely learned a lot about superheroes and comic books, so I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. But seriously, Tyler's writing is some of the best stuff that I've read, not just in terms of COVID-19 content, but really in terms of faith and culture and where those intersect, and really just about faith in general. So I will link the article that we specifically talked about in the show notes, but definitely check all of his other stuff out on Relevant. He's contributed to some other sites as well. So check those out. I'll put his social media channels in the show notes. Make sure you reach out to him. Give him a follow. Let him know that you enjoyed hearing him on this show. Hey, if you guys need me at all, you know where to find me. I'm Cole Claiborne on pretty much any social media platform. I would love to connect with you guys. And also check the show notes out because starting next Monday, May 4th, I'm going to be sending out a weekly email list newsletter Probably more than just Mondays, but definitely going to start with every Monday going to be sending out a a morning newsletter that will link the podcast episode for that week and a devotional and a verse of the week and just some other content that I'm hoping to be encouraging. And it's going to be there's going to be some exclusive content for only email list subscribers. So make sure that you check that out and subscribe to that. But thank you guys for listening. I know I say this a lot. I said it quite a bit during this coronavirus stuff. There's a lot of things that you could fill your time with. But I'm appreciative that you guys are taking some time to listen to these episodes. I hope they have brought some encouragement and a break from all the craziness that's going on. And I hope that you guys are able to stay safe and healthy. And as always, I hope you guys find some time this week to relax and not be in a hurry. And we will see you back on Thursday with the final episode of my April Athlete Features. This is a special episode because I got to talk to my senior girls tennis players. Obviously, our season was canceled, and so for them, this was their final high school tennis season. And so we got to reminisce on some of their favorite memories from the past three years and obviously talk about the emotions of our season being canceled. And it was just a good time for us to kind of be together as a team and allow them to kind of have somewhat of a senior night so i'm excited about that episode hope you guys will tune back in on thursday for that i hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you on thursday